Good morning. Today we are starting a new series that we're calling Getting Cozy with Sin. And before you begin to worry, obviously we're going to say that that's not a good idea. But unfortunately for many of us as Christians, it has become a reality. And as I was thinking about this this week, I, I, I thought of, you know, just imagine you wake up one morning and you go into the bathroom and you're looking in the mirror and you're doing your, your, your morning routine, you're, you're brushing your teeth and you're washing your face. And as you're there in front of the mirror, you notice a, a, a little lump at the base of your neck. You inspect a little closer, and you begin to get a little nervous, a little worried. You'd never seen that there before. And so you tell yourself immediately when you get to work that you're going to call your doctor. But just then, the, the kids burst in the bathroom door asking for breakfast, and then your phone goes off reminding you about a meeting that you have as soon as you get to work, and, and you get busy throughout the day, and things pick up, and before you know it, you're back home, and you're making dinner, and you think, oh, I was supposed to call the doctor today. I'll do it tomorrow. And so tomorrow comes, and you think, I'm going to have time on my lunch break. I'll just, I'll just call on my lunch break and make an appointment to get this thing looked at. But your coworker sits down in the lunchroom and wants to tell you all about the cruise that he or she just got back from. And before you know it, the day's over. And once again, you haven't called the doctor about this alarming lump on your neck. So it goes on like this for several days. You mean to do it. You just can't find the time. You forget. And then one morning you wake up and you think to yourself, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't look like it's getting any bigger. It, I feel fine. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt. What's, what's the big deal? I mean, I, if I call the doctor's office, they're probably just going to give me pills and I'm just going to have a big copay. And I, I hate filling out those forms and answering all those silly questions and He's just going to tell me I need to lose weight again, so I, I just, you know, I, I just watch it. It'll be fine. I'll, I'll just keep an eye on it. Over time, the lump grows, almost imperceptibly, but it grows, and you continue to ignore it. You start to make little jokes about it. Maybe even you give it a pet name because it's just become a part of who you are. You get snippy with people who think you should get it looked at. After all, it's not hurting anyone else. Why do they care anyway? Have they looked in the mirror themselves anyway? You've grown accustomed to see it every morning, and you honestly can't remember a time it wasn't there. You've simply accepted that that lump is part of who you are. You've ceased being alarmed by it, and and you're quite comfortable with your newfound friend, the lump. I don't have to tell you how this story ends. Maybe some of you have experienced something like this in your own family, and this is more than just a parable to you. But as you know, if, if that lump is cancerous, just ignoring it, just trying to live with it, isn't going to do any good. You can't just let it go. You can't just ignore it. But unfortunately, for many of us, that's how we view sin in our own lives. We, we get to the point where it's been around a while, We feel like it's not hurting anybody, and we become okay. We become maybe even cozy with our sin. And over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at some of those sins that maybe we're most prone to become okay with in our life, that we're most prone to become 
cozy with in our life. I put uh, a poll out on Facebook that many of you responded to, and I was surprised at some of the responses and some of the things that many of you said, this is what I'm most likely to be okay with. And so I've picked some of the top ones that we're going to go through over the next few weeks. But today is a little bit of an, uh, a general introduction to this idea of getting cozy with sin. And if you have your notes and you want to fill in some blanks, I think the first thing that we have to, the first question we have to ask is, what are we thinking when it comes to, to allowing sin in our life and, and letting it just sit there like an old friend? We have to ask ourselves, what, what are we thinking? As Christians, we should know better, right? What are we thinking? Well, first of all, I, I, I thought of five things that might be going through our head. The first thing we might be thinking is, it's no big deal. It's, it's no big deal. I don't see what the problem is anyways. Come on. Who's it hurting? It's not, not hurting you. It's not, it's not really affecting you. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. This is the person who minimizes sin. This might be closely related to the person who makes excuses for their sin. But this guy kind of looks at his life. He looks at what's going on. He says, eh, no big deal. I don't see what the problem is. The Bible teaches us that apathy can be deadly. And many around us will say that it's not really sin unless it directly hurts somebody else. That's why we're redefining marriage in our culture. And, 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 and those sorts of moral questions and issues. Because we say, well, it's, it's not hurting anybody. How can it be wrong? And so maybe we're kidding ourselves into thinking that the sin in our life is no big deal. Secondly... We might be saying, well, it's not as bad as so-and-so. Hey, come on. How, how is it that, that big of a deal? I, I'm, I mean, have you, have you looked, at, looked at my relatives? Have you looked at some of the people that, that you associate with? I mean, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't, I haven't physically assaulted anybody. I'm not cheating on my spouse. I'm paying my taxes, paying my bills. What, what's the big deal? I got this little thing in my life compared to all these other things out there that I could be doing. Come on. It's not a big deal. Not as bad as him. Not as bad as her. Come on. Why don't you talk to them before you talk to me? Second thing maybe that we could be thinking is, well, you don't understand. You don't understand the kind of things that I have to go through. You don't know the pressures that I face. This is where the excuses come in. Well, I wouldn't blow my fuse so often if she didn't, if he didn't say this. I wouldn't be so irritable if things weren't so frustrating at work. Would eat healthier if junk food were a little cheaper, or if, if junk food wasn't so cheap. I wouldn't worry so much if God just took it easy on me a little bit and took some of these trials away. I wouldn't have to, to look at porn if my spouse just, just looked better. We, we find reasons to make excuses and we say, you don't understand my situation. That's fine and I can see how that might be a problem for some people. But seriously, you're going to ask me to deal with that with all the pressure that I'm under? And so we blame, 
We make excuses. Carl Menninger, the psychiatrist, referred to what happens in this line of thinking by a satire about psych, uh, psychiatry written and sung by Anna Russell. It goes like this. At three, I had a feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers, and so it follows naturally I poisoned all my lovers. But now I'm happy I have learned the lesson this is taught, that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. Many of us go through life like that. We find excuses or reasons to shift blame. And maybe that's what we're thinking as we get cozy with sin. Maybe, number four, maybe you're thinking, seriously? That's a sin? As we go through these, maybe one or two of them are going to shock you or, or surprise you and think, oh my word, I truly have never thought about that. I, I'm just warning you, in a few weeks we're going to talk about gluttony. And that's probably one of the most overlooked and ignored and untalked about sins in Christendom. The, the worship of food. And maybe for some of us, as we look at what God's Word says that week and we think through these things, we might think, I just never thought about it before. And for some of us, that may be be the reason that we've allowed a certain sin to become a part of our lives. And what we need to do in that case is hold it up to God's Word and see what God's Word has to say about it and say, oh, okay, now that I know that's wrong, I need to do something about it. And then number five is, huh? For some of us, as we think about a sin in our life, and as we're studying God's Word together, and then God, God reveals that and shows that that's alive in your heart and has become a, a habit or a sin that you become okay with, you know, may, maybe the light bulbs are going to go on for the first time. Because, unfortunately, many Christians are in cruise control in their life. And they're not any, asking any questions about sin. The, the thought of praying the prayer of the psalmist David in Psalm 139, Lord, search my heart and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. His, his maybe never crossed some of our minds. It's never occurred to us to say, God, reveal the things in my heart that are displeasing to you and help me overcome these sins. For some of us, we're just on cruise control. You know, we were, uh, we were on, away on vacation last week and hanging out with some, with some family members, and uh, we were uh, letting the boys, uh, the, the boys were wading out into a, a river that we were, we were fishing at, and I had to tell the, the youngest one especially to not go too far, not go out beyond his knees, because if he got out much further, the current was fast, and it could just easily take him away, and we had to watch him carefully. And for many of us, we've just been taken away by the current. We're just, we're just going through the motions. We've got busy life. We've got, you know, ball practices or, or family gatherings. And we're just busy here and busy there. And yeah, we make time for church on Sunday, but we're not, we're not taking time to look into God's Word and ask God to be at work in our heart and to reveal those things for us. We've just, we just got it on cruise control. And we might be saying, huh? I didn't know there was a problem. I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. And so as we look at what God's Word has to say in this series, I hope that uh, He takes time to correct our thinking, that we take time to look at and, and see what God's Word has to say and correct our thinking. 
So that's what we might be thinking. What should we be thinking when it regards and involves these sins? What should be going through our mind as we look at these things in our life? First of all, we need to realize that sin is demonic. It's easy to, to be lighthearted and, 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 and look at sin as just a, maybe an imperfection or, or, a, or a, a character flaw. The Bible teaches that it's far more than that. That sin is demonic. In 1 John chapter 3, we're told that whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, we looked at 1 John a few weeks ago, and we, re- we realized that John doesn't pull any punches. He says it like it is. And he says, if you make a practice of sinning, <laughs> you're of the devil. That's strong language. And he says, this is why. He says, the devil has been doing this from the very beginning. The devil is, is the one who introduced sin into God's perfect world by rebelling against God. Satan committed cosmic treason. And as God created the earth, Satan brought that spirit of rebellion into this world and convinced Adam and Eve to go the same route and therefore brought sin into this world. The Bible says that when we choose to sin, we're walking in the same path as Satan. One of the things I love about being a dad is watching when your kids are really little, them trying to imitate you and trying to do... Now, it can also be a really bad thing, but in a good way. Maybe when you're working on a project or, 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 or helping out around the house and you see them, you know, they've got their own little tools or they've got their, their own little stuff that they're trying to help with around the house. And it's great when you're doing something good to have them imitate you. That's a wonderful thing. It's a bad thing when you're doing something you shouldn't be doing and and you hear them repeat something you said and you're like, oh my word, I can't believe they heard that. When we sin and when we make a practice of sinning, the Bible says that we're walking in Satan's footsteps. Now, if I took a show of hands, there's not one of us here today who wants that as our life goal. Ooh, 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 I want to be more like the devil. The Bible says that sin is demonic. Listen, is, God, is God's Holy Spirit works in your heart during this time together over the next few weeks? And if God reveals one or more of these areas in your life, don't brush it off. Don't shrug it off. Realize that when we allow ourselves to be comfortable with sin, we're walking in the same footsteps as Satan himself. Verse 10 in 1 John 3 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let us be those who show ourselves to be the children of God. The second thing that we should be thinking is that sin... We've all been fooled by sin... We've all been lured in by the promise of joy and of happiness and of immediate fulfillment. For that is what Satan does best. We wouldn't sin if it didn't look good in the moment. Whether that's that's anger 
or, or, or worry or lust or fear or jealousy or gluttony, if it didn't look appealing in the moment, we wouldn't want it. We wouldn't consider doing it. Sin is deceptive. We were away. We, we went fishing a few times. And we were at a part of the, the uh, Muskegon River um, south of Mesick there where there's a footbridge that goes over the, over the water. And you can stand on that footbridge and look down into the water and we could see some fish in there. We could, even, we could see some trout and a few suckers down there. And so my boys were on the bank and we were up on the bridge giving them pointers as to where to cast their lures so that they, they, they couldn't see the fish from their perspective, but from up above we could see it fine. And so they were throwing the lures in there and, and we were watching as, as those lures would go right over top of some of those trout. And you know, for some of those trout, they weren't the least bit interested in those lures. There, there was nothing attractive about what was being thrown in front of them. But you know what? We caught a few. We caught a few. And I want to tell you something. It was a part of the river, I believe, that it was, it was artificial baits only. We couldn't fish with any live, live bait. And so what we were doing is we were trying to deceive those fish into thinking that it was something worth going after. That's what you do when you fish. You're, you're trying to deceive them into thinking that's something that it's not, right? And some of those fish fell for it. They saw something shiny. And what they eat in nature that looks like something gold spinning, I don't know. But they went after it. And you know, sometimes we're drawn in by the allurement of sin. In the moment it looks good and it feels good and it thinks, we think, what, 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 what could this hurt? Or I deserve this. Or, or you fill in the blank, the excuses that we make, why we indulge. But sin is deceptive. Sin always, always, always will let you down. Sin promises what it can't deliver. If sin was what was best for us, then God would let us have it because He cares so much for us. He wants what's best in our life, but He knows it's not what's best. It's an assault on His character. It's a front against who He is as God. But it's deceptive. And we need to remember that. When it flashes in front of our eyes, we need to remember, uh-uh, it's not going to deliver what it's promised. It's, Satan's, Satan's messing with me here. It's deceptive. Sin is deceitful. Thirdly, oh, there's a, there's a scripture to go along with that. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13. That none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Number three, Sin is destructive. Sin is destructive. We convince ourselves that it's not hurting anybody. We convince ourselves that it's okay. Stop and think about it a minute. We can all think of people in our lives, believers who allowed sin in the door and succumbed to it. They ignored the warning signals, maybe pleas from other Christians. And they let sit in and, and they became okay with it. And they, they experienced firsthand, we, we saw it, how, how it led them down a trail that eventually destroyed them. 
I mean, you know scriptural examples that you can think of. I mean, David and Bathsheba is the most obvious one. He's thinking, what's it going to hurt? It's a big deal. Hurting anybody. And that one decision he made there on the rooftop affected the entire rest of his life and reign as king. It affected everything. One decision. Sin destroys. Sin wreaks havoc. You can think of families that were destroyed, personal lives that were upended, ministries that were lost because of sin. Don't ever fool yourself into thinking that you're not hurting anybody. Think of Abraham and Hagar. Remember when God had promised that he would have a a son and he decided to take matters in his own hands and sleep with his concubine? That, That one act of sin affected him and even the whole nation and even until today. One choice. Sin is destructive. Romans chapter 6 tells us, says, what, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you are now ashamed, of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you may be able to remember back a time maybe before God saved you, when, you're, when you were headlong into sin and, and God saved you and, and, and your life changed. And you can look back and you can remember, like Romans 6.21 says, that there was no fruit from that. He says, what fruit were you getting at, the, at that time from the things of now which you are ashamed? The end of those things is death. And Romans 6.23 reminds us that the wages of sin is death. Death is, is the outcome. Death is the outcome. That's this next one here. Sin is deadly. Sin is deadly. When we allow sin in our life, it does several things. First of all, it's deadly to our relationship with God. When we turn our back on God, we we lose fellowship with Him. We don't experience that intimacy. But the Bible also teaches in other places that sin can actually affect us physically. You might remember, we're not going to turn there, but in the passage in 2 Corinthians 11, we often read before communion. There's, there's the, the end of the, the passage that we don't always read, but, but it says that for some of the people, Paul says some of the people who have been abusing the Lord's table, he says in that passage that some have fallen, some, of you, some among you are sick, and some have even fallen asleep because of their sin. Now, that's a stunning passage. You have to read a couple of times to let it sink in and think that there, there have been, for people living in prolonged sin, God's shown it to them, and they've said, ah, that there are physical repercussions. Sin is deadly. It's not to be messed around with or trifled with. The wages of sin is death. You remember when Adam and Eve we're being exhorted by God not to eat the fruit in the garden. He says, the day you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. 
penalty for sin has always been death. And for a Christian who has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed their sin, Jesus has paid the penalty for their sin, and they no longer have to fear the consequences of eternal death. Sin is still deadly. Sin is still destructive. And we need to be oh so careful that we don't fool ourselves into thinking that it's anything else. We should be thinking that sin is demonic, that sin is deceitful, that sin is destructive, and that sin is deadly. It's what we should be thinking. But then we need to ask ourselves finally, what should we be doing? It starts in our thinking process, but it doesn't end there. It's not good enough to just know, "Mm, that's bad, and then keep doing it. God calls for us to change, and, and by His grace, He's provided the resources for us to do so in His strength. And as we go through each of these topics over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to provide some real, real practical, real clear steps that we can take to deal with that particular sin in our life. But for the time being, here's just a few generalities. What should we be doing? First of all, we need to remember what God says about sin. We need to keep it before us. When I, when I buy something from the store that's not assembled, um, I'm not one of those guys who can just throw away the instructions. I'm not. And I, bless you if you're one of those people, so help me. It's just not fair that you can look at this pile of nuts and bolts and pieces and figure out. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to have that out and I pull my computer up with the YouTube video of the gracious guy who, who, who knew what he was doing and filmed himself putting that same thing together. And I'm reading, watching, reading, watching, do one thing, read, watch, read. And I'm going back and forth. I, I, need, I need to keep it in front of me the whole way. I can't, I can't look away from it for a second or I will, I will short-circuit the whole process and ruin the project. If I look away from one step, I have to have it in front of me the whole time. That's what we need to do with God's Word. It has to be always there. If if we look away from God's promises for even a minute, we'll be allured by the, the shiny object that Satan's flashing in front of us. We must remember what God says about sin. We must call to mind the truth about what He says sin is. Remind yourself that sin is an affront to a holy God. Stop telling yourself that it's no big deal. Your gossip is a direct assault on God's holiness. My irritability tramples on the cross of Christ. My pride is an abomination to God. My lust required the death of Almighty King Jesus. My gluttony is disobedience. To God. You and I need to start talking about our sin like the Bible talks about it. And we need to look at it as best we can through the eyes of God. I believe that when we do, in those moments, we're shocked back to reality. We, while we were on vacation, we tried to go swimming, and Lake Michigan just is, was not as warm as the air was. Okay, it was it got like, got like 100 one day last week, I think. And, 
Lake Michigan wasn't anywhere near that. I'm pretty sure it was about a third of that. Because I couldn't get past my knees without screaming like a little girl and running back on, on the beach. But you know, that, 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 that cold water wakes you up. And sometimes we need that. Frequently we need it. We need to go back to God's Word and, and read it and say, Oh my Word! I've, I've allowed this in my life and God says this about it. And that's, that's not cool. We need to be shocked back to reality. Talk about your sin like God talks about it. Remember what God says about sin. Number two, repent. <laughs> repent. As God brings that sin to your attention, repent of it. One theologian defines repentance as, as uh, the radical turning away from anything which hinders one, one's wholehearted devotion to God. And it's a corresponding of turning to God in love and obedience. It's a turning from one direction back towards God. You're, you're heading in, in one complete, your, your back's towards God. You're heading this way towards your sin. Repentance is making a complete 180 and going back towards God, walking away from your sin and to your Savior. Repentance is more than just feeling bad or sorry. Repentance is not simply remorse for having wronged our neighbor, but it's a recognition that God is the, the most offended party in this situation. Let me give you a, a, an example of what repentance sounds like, penned by the psalmist in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know that my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me the wisdom. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. That should be our prayer. When God reveals sin to us. When was the last time that you talked to God like that? When was the last time that your heart was so broken over something that you did before God that you, you, couldn't, you couldn't but cry out to Him and plead for His forgiveness? We need to be willing to repent. And then finally, we need to run. We need to run. <laughs> we need to run, first of all, from sin. Get away. The very outset, the first sign of sin, get away from it as fast as you can. Be realistic. Recognize it for what it is and turn your back when that temptation arises. We were over by Sleeping Bear Dunes one day and um, we, we wanted to show our relatives from, the, from San Diego that had never been to Michigan. 
uh, some of the beauties of the lakeshore. And so we took him to the Sleeping Bear Dunes. You know there's that loop where you can drive it, and, and, and you get out at one part of the loop, and there's that, uh, you get out, and, and there's, you're just looking almost straight down into the water. It's just like almost like a sand cliff that you're looking down. And there's all these words of wisdom on the signage, stay at the top. Don't be stupid and go down this thing. You will have to pay for your rescue. That kind of stuff. And there's all sorts of brilliant people standing at the top of this thing taking pictures. Intelligent people. And I look down and I think, I can do this. I can do this. And it didn't help that my brother-in-law is there and the, and the guy's... The guy was training to compete in a, in a half Ironman, which he did yesterday. And I think... I, I can't stay at the top if he goes down, you know. Can't. And about halfway back up, when I was, I was trying just not to vomit in front of the kids, and I saw stars, and I thought, I wonder if this is what it's like right before the end. I thought, when I faced that temptation back on the top of this thing, I should have ran. I should have got on the viewing platform with all the other bright, brilliant people and have been satisfied with a picture. But I didn't. You know, when, when, when the temptation comes, whatever it is, we're going to talk about a few over the next few weeks, when that temptation comes, we need to recognize what it is immediately and get away. Don't stand there and think, I wonder what it's like if I just spend a little time here. You know, I just, I'll just kind of... Do this once, and then I'll walk away. I'll be fine. Get away. Get away from it and run. But you know, the great thing is, is that we don't just have to run from sin because the truth is, is that we're running to Christ. And, you know, we can tell ourselves to get away from sin all that we want, and we need to. But unless we have something better to run to, that sin is always going to still be looking really, really good. But when we realize how much more wonderful it is to run to Christ, to be in fellowship with Him, in communion with Him, all of a sudden sin begins to lose its luster. You see, God never intended us to spend our lives simply fleeing from temptation. He didn't call us to live a life on the run. And you'll never have ultimate victory over sin unless you're running to Christ instead of your sin. Jesus must become to us supremely more precious, more glorious, and more satisfying than our sin, or we'll just go right back to it. The prospect of being in communion with God, of enjoying God in His presence, must be utmost in our affections. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of turn page after page and look at some of these sins. Pride, laziness and gluttony, lust, irritability and patience, impatience, worry and anxiety. Some of these things that we might just be okay with letting into our lives. And we're going to see what God's Word has to say about it. But I, I want this to... to to be at the forefront of every discussion as we talk about sin. That Jesus has paid it all. 
And while it's important to take a look at our hearts and, and see what's there, it, it could be easy to swing the pendulum so far the other way and, and be, be, be preoccupied with this morbid introspection that is, is, it causes us to be weighed down by our sin. See, God wants us to look at sin for the, in our hearts for the purpose of getting it out, but He doesn't want us, our gaze to stay there. The gaze needs to move from our sin to the cross and recognize that Jesus has paid it all and, and promises His Holy Spirit to enable us to have victory. John Newton, who wrote the hymn, hymn that is familiar to all of us, Amazing Grace, as many of you know, was earlier in his life a slave trader and was even captain of a ship that transported African slaves to America. For medical reasons, he left the seafaring life and became a customs officer. He studied theology and eventually became a minister. However, as a minister, he never forgot what he had done. He never forgot the ugliness of the slave trade and the sins that he had committed, the atrocities against his fellow man. And at the end of his life, as he was laying in his bed, dying, kind of coming in and out of consciousness. In a moment of alertness, he turned to a friend who was sitting there by his bedside. And he says, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. As God convicts us of our sin, of areas that we need to deal with, don't ever lose thought that you have a Savior who is far greater than any sin in your life and has the grace to help you conquer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great Savior, Jesus Christ, who's came, who has come to redeem us from our sin. And many of us understand that our, our sin has been paid for on the cross. But sometimes we forget that Jesus, through his death, made power to conquer sin in this present life. No, we'll never be sin-free. We'll never, never be perfect this side of glory. But God, you have, you have provided the resources for us to say no to sin in our life and to turn toward you. God, I'm just asking that you would help open our eyes as we go through this study. Just take the blinders off. Help us to put our pride away. And may we pray, God, search my heart. And as you convict us of sin in our life, let us not just brush it off. Let us not, let us not attempt to say that it's no big deal, that it's not hurting anybody. Let us not make excuses. May we come before you and say, God, I need to be cleansed. I want to walk away from this sin, and I want to run to you. Give us the grace to do that, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.